guys may have a seat. You may have a seat. It is so good to be with you guys today. And what a day did you pick to join us. I don't think it's an accident that any of us are here. Um, but today we get to celebrate the baptisms of three folks <laughs> this morning. Jackie, Jamal, Haley, you're all coming up here in a moment. Woo! Not yet. Not yet. I got to yap for a second, and then we'll invite you up here. Um, but we are so thrilled that we get to celebrate the new life that God has brought about in their lives. Now, before we jump in, though, we get to start off a new sermon series uh, for, for this week uh, and actually the next few months. Uh, we're going to start going through what we call the Gospel of Mark, um, and it's going to be an awesome journey. But before we just dive in, sometimes I wonder or ask myself, Maybe guess yourself. If Jesus just showed up at your house in your neighborhood today and he said, Carolyn, Ed, follow me. He said, Kirk, follow me. And I did. What would happen to my life? What would change? What would stay the same? Have you ever wondered that before? Or is it just me? Either way, when Jesus, however we answer that question of what does it mean to follow Jesus, really determines what each of us believes being a Christian is about. Because the word Christian literally means a little Christ. It is an apprentice or a, follow, a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and to be a Christian means simply to follow in the way or the footsteps of Jesus, just like an apprentice would follow in the way of his or her master. So what would happen to our lives if we followed Jesus with all parts of ourselves around all people Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What would happen? Well, this is the question that we'll be exploring, not just this week, but in the coming months as we dive into the Gospel of Mark in a series we're calling Following Jesus. You know, the New Testament opens with four accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark is a little different from the other three in that it is far more action-packed. It's a lot more story. There's not as much teaching by Jesus. But it's something that we're, we're almost drawn into the life and the stories uh, that, that are being told. Now, the earliest church fathers that we can find, so really uh, Christians writing really in that first century after Jesus, have given us a fair amount of evidence that it was Peter who told his firsthand stories of Jesus to a man named John Mark who penned and wrote this all down for us. But as we read it, You'll see that Mark, in his story, in the way that he tells his account of Jesus, has us consistently asking, who is this Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him in our day-to-day -day lives? But the answers aren't given right away. Instead, he encapsulates the answers within the stories and parables of Jesus as we follow through in this story. And we're not meant to just discover these answers by separated from the text, just studying it like a scholar. We're meant to discover them as we 
imagine ourselves within this story. Some scholars will even say that the Gospel of Mark was written like a drama. Because we're meant to see ourselves as participants within it, hearing also Jesus call us to follow him. And so, we're going to dive in. And it's going to be fun. And it's going to be a blast. There's so, there's so much that happens in this. But realize, Jesus' invitation to follow him is for all of us here. It's not just for those long ago. It's not just for me. It's not just for those getting baptized. It is for all of us here. And as we dive in to Mark chapter 1, interestingly enough, before we celebrate the baptisms of these three, uh, we get to read about a baptism. Mark opens with the baptism. And as we open up Mark chapter 1, we're going to start by answering three questions. Number one, what is this Jesus thing about? Number two, why does it open with a baptism? And number three, why was Jesus baptized? If Jesus, who knew no sin, baptism is a sign of repentance, why was Jesus baptized? All right, so we're going to dive right in, starting with Mark chapter 1. Verse 1, if you're looking for it in your own Bibles, the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, Luke comes after. Chapter 1, verse 1. And if we could stand together as we read this, as a way of honoring God and His Word. Here we go. Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Father, may you take this word, and may we not just understand it with our minds, but may it transform our life. May anything that I have to say that is of Kirk, may it fall to the ground. Uh, God, but anything that's of you, may it ultimately stick in our hearts and our minds. Because we know that it's you who brings about freedom, transformation, growth. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Thank you very much. Before we dive in, have you ever waited for something so long only to realize you have to wait longer? Have you ever just expected a breakthrough, knew it was coming, and when the moment finally came, it didn't come through like you hoped? After a year of a pandemic, of course we can all say yes. But, if, of course, that can be applied to a bunch of different things in our lives, too. But as much as we've waited, as much as we've longed and craved for a breakthrough, I can't even feel that anything I've experienced, we've experienced, is really just a taste 
of what the Jewish people, the people of Israel, had experienced prior to the beginning of this gospel. Because for 400 straight years, the Israelites had waited for God to deliver them from foreign oppressors like Rome. They held the words of their prophets of old in their hands, just waiting for a word from God, but yet heaven was silent until now. And when Jesus broke onto the scene, it was actually God breaking into history just as he promised. Sometimes when we dive into a book, we breeze past the first verse. We get, try to get right to the action, but don't get past chapter 1, verse 1 right away because these words are weighty. In the beginning, of the gospel. Gospel means good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, these words were a big deal for their time. This word gospel is something that we're familiar with in our own context, but they weren't familiar with quite in the same way back then. Because the word gospel in the first century Roman world was more often associated with the Roman emperor Caesar than it was the God of Israel. The word gospel often referred to the reign and the rule of Caesar. Anytime Caesar had won a military victory or they were announcing his birthday, festival coming up, it would come out as the gospel of Caesar. It was a celebration of his rule, his reign. But when Mark is starting his gospel, he's declaring to the Roman world there's a new king. There's a new rule that has broken into this world and it is coming through the true Son of God. His name, Jesus, means salvation. And he's called the Christ, which means God's anointed one, his Messiah, the Savior of all. The one true God, Mark is announcing, is breaking into history, into the real lives and real world. Do you realize we never went to God? He came to us. We didn't make it happen. He made it happen. But, Mark makes it clear, the God who is breaking into history is also the God over history. Just to show you that, he begins to quote the prophets of old, like Isaiah. This, Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before, declaring that God was coming, and now Mark is saying, ha ha, it is coming just as he promised. This is not a God who is just coming on the scene unannounced. He's planned this for across history itself. And you see, sometimes waiting feels eternal for us, doesn't it? It's like it's never going to get better. It's never going to end. Things are never going to open up. But God cannot forget his promises. For he is the supreme creator of all things who is working in his timing and his way under the direction of his wisdom. And now Mark is declaring that we're seeing the rule of God breaking into history, and this is the God over history. I mean, consider that for a moment. God broke into our real world. And it was in a world that in many ways was different from our own, but in many ways very similar. In their world, they had plenty of political clashes. They feared plagues. They had economic uncertainty. They dealt with injustice in their society, right? All the things we deal with, they saw it too, and God came right into it all. And the good news 
the very beginning is that the God over all is not detached, absent, aloof. He is not callous, but he sees you. He knows your names. And he is active and alive and working. So do we have an expectation that God wants to and will work in our real lives too? Do you believe that God wants to work in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your town, in your nation? I, sometimes I don't, if I'm honest. Sometimes I think that these stories are for people unlike me, but do we realize that this is a God who breaks into real lives, and he wants to do that in our lives too? And the fact that we're celebrating the baptism of these three today is evidence. They're sitting here declaring, coming up and saying, God is alive and working in my life. So why would he not want to work in yours too? But if Mark is announcing that God has broken into this world, how do we prepare for something like that? Right? If, if I told you that uh, a king or the president was coming here today, we would get ready for that, Right? But how do you get ready when the Lord overall is breaking into this world? Well, the only way to prepare for the Lord's arrival is to turn from selfish living and go all in for him. And to, 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 to unpack this, Mark introduces to us John the baptizer, who is doing exactly that, preparing the way for God's arrival. But how? Mark says, by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the wilderness at the Jordan River. Now we're thinking, what? What, what does that even mean? But clearly it meant something to them then, because it says that people were coming from Judea, Jerusalem, all over, out to the middle of nowhere to meet this guy, John, and get baptized with him. So what did it mean for them? And therefore, why should we understand it with our own context today? Well, let me give you a little historical backdrop here. Okay, let me lift up some of the, the context so that you begin to make sense of this more for ourselves. Because there's three things that I really want to show you. First, to them, John sounded like and looked like one of God's prophets of old. He was declaring, God's coming, God's coming. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the echoes of, of Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, Amos, Joel, these Old Testament prophets who were declaring very similar things. And not only was he talking like a prophet, but he looked like one too. Many people believe that the prophet Elijah wore camel-like clothing, leather belts, and ate weird desert food, right? So they're looking at this guy and thinking, could this be the coming of Elijah again? After all, prophet Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament promised Elijah would come again or someone like Elijah would come again. And so they're saying, could this be it? Is the silence over? Is God speaking again? This guy certainly fits the bill. But second, it's not just who is speaking, but it's where he's speaking. In the wilderness at the River Jordan, which if you know Israel's history, two very significant places. First, what's significant about the wilderness? Well, you can read for yourself in the book of Exodus. How when God brought the people out of Egypt, freed them, he brought them to where first? The wilderness of Sinai. Why? Because he was forming a covenant relationship with them. That's where their relationship with God 
as his people really began with Mark's doubt. So could this guy, John, be like a new Moses who's coming to reestablish a relationship with us, his people, and God? But what about the River Jordan? Well, you can read in the book of Joshua that the Jordan River is exactly where, under the leadership of Joshua, God's people from the wilderness entered the promised land. That God parted the Jordan River and they walked through it and entered the promised land for the first time. Again, a place of new beginnings. And so when you take the wilderness with the Jordan River, with this man who sounds like a prophet, all of that is spinning in their minds and they're realizing this is it. God is coming and he's coming to start a new relationship with us. It's a new kind of covenant. This was their expectation. And John is saying, man, if this is your heart, and if you want to turn back to God, and you want to be right with God, then come to the wilderness at the Jordan River, you see all the symbolism now, and be baptized in this river. Now, baptism at this time in history wasn't super popular, super well-known, right? Like, they had some ritual washings in Judaism before all of this, but baptism was something that really John, the baptizer, really introduced mainstream, if you will. So he invites people to come to the wilderness, and ultimately, baptism for him was a sign of what he called repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? Well, repentance is this picture that we're walking this way, and I repent. I turn around, and I start walking the other way. And if you know the history of Israel, for a long time, God's people walked away from him, and he's saying, come on, turn around. Let's go back his way again. Let's follow God's way again. Let's, let's go his way because ultimately, if God's breaking into the world, are you prepared for him to come? So turn around and follow him. And baptism itself was a physical sign that demonstrated the sincerity of their hearts. As they were immersed in the waters of baptism, it was a symbol that they had been cleansed, forgiven, that they were all in for God and his way. And for us today, baptism still carries that same understanding. That we understand that baptism is not how we're saved, right? But it is a physical, public declaration that we're all in for Jesus. It is a sign that, that we have been renewed, born again, cleansed of our sin, and that we are committed to Jesus and following his way. And when we immerse ourselves in the waters of baptism, it symbolizes that we've turned from the old way and now we are fully committed to following Jesus no matter the cost. I heard a story this week from a pastor who, during college, spent one summer in eastern Malaysia as a missionary. And one Sunday, he was at a small church there, and he saw this teenage girl come up front from the back. And she said, I want to get baptized. And he looked to where she was sitting, and against the back wall were these worn-out pieces of luggage. And after service, he asked the Malaysian pastor, he said, what, what was the, up with the luggage in the back? He said, well, that girl's father told her that if she ever was baptized as a Christian, she would not be welcome home. And that was exactly my response. Wow. Because immediately, I felt that in myself, Am I all in like that? Is that my attitude? That no matter the cost, 
in our own culture, our families may or may not disown us for following Jesus and being committed to his way, but it is still true, equally true for us that when he is, when we are baptized, when we are all in, he is the Lord over all of our lives. And so as we open Mark's account from the beginning, as we prepare for the arrival of the Lord, like, do I fully give God all that I am, or do I withhold my hands when the work is hard? Have I counted the cost of following Jesus, or do I consistently calculate how to follow Jesus in the least painful way? <laughs> Have I handed him control over my life, or do I still hold some things for myself? But before, as we wrestle with those questions, though, I want us to realize who it is that we're giving up control to. Because there is something about following Jesus that is different from every other religion, philosophy, ideology that this world has to offer. And as we begin to be introduced to this true hero of Mark's gospel, there is something that is meant to catch us off guard from the beginning. To whom are we surrendering our lives? See, the surprise is that the sinless Son of God identified as one of us and went all in for us. And so we meet Jesus in chapter 1, verse 9, coming from an insignificant town of Nazareth, from an unsophisticated region of Galilee, to be baptized in the river by John. But why? Like, baptism is a picture of leaving my old self behind and repentance and turning from sin, but Jesus never sinned. Why would he be baptized? You ever wondered that before? Some people say that, well, this is the moment that he became the Son of God, right? Like, this is the moment when, when God adopted Jesus as his Son, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Like that, that's, that's incorrect, you know, in, in the most clear way I can say it's possible. Because when God declares this, he's not saying you are becoming my beloved son. He says that's already who you are. He already was God in the flesh. So, okay, what was this about then? Well, the simplest way I know to say it is while we get baptized to identify ourselves with God, Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized to identify with us. Now lean in here, because this is amazing. This is amazing. We already know that God, over history, broke into history. He took on human flesh to become one of us, and he humbled himself in doing that. But he didn't stop there. Because we see in what Jesus said from the very beginning, as he showed himself to be the kind of God who was willing to step into a symbol of a sinner. Why? He was stepping into waters that for many people looking at him would say and assume, well, he must have sinned, but we know he didn't. Because all of this was a foreshadowing to the kind of God that he came to be, the kind of God he was. Because this was the same God who one day, at the very end of Mark's gospel, would eventually step 
into the depths of death, taking on a symbol, not just of a sinner, but a criminal, and ultimately bearing the judgment of God upon his shoulders, that he would not only identify, but take all of our sin upon himself, but then rise again from the grave in order to give us new life. And as Jesus went down into these waters, it was a foreshadowing of what's to come. And as he came back up, it's a foreshadowing of the new life he had come to bring. Isn't that amazing? And you see all of that was made even more clear by the three things that happened after Jesus came out of the water. First, it says the heavens were torn open. Now, Mark uses this word torn on purpose because it's the same word used. When Jesus died, it says that the veil in the temple that separated us from the presence of God was torn in two. This is all a picture that God is going to remove the sin that separates us from his presence. And he was going to do it in himself. That's sign number one, the heavens torn open. Number two, the spirit descends on Jesus like a bird or a dove. Now, what does that mean? Well, for the Jews familiar with the scriptures, for many of you familiar with Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what is verse two? And the spirit hovered over the waters in the new creation work. So we see the Spirit of God descending and hovering over the waters at Jesus' baptism. Why? Because he's bringing about a new creation work. John himself said, Jesus did not come, or he says, I've come, all I can do is cleanse the outside of you. But there's one who is coming who gives you the Holy Spirit, who cleanses the inside of you. That God is doing a new creation work in this world. He's not just making us a better, more moral person. He is taking the old self, completely recreating himself within us. And that was your shouting moment. I, I don't know what else to say. That was your shouting moment. And in a moment, when we're going to go into the baptism of waters, you'll even see, we're going to say, having died with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. It is a new creation work that Jesus has come to bring about in us. And third, all of this is confirmed after the heavens are torn open and the Spirit descends upon Jesus like a, like a dove. All of this is confirmed when Jesus hears the voice of his Father. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. This is not the work of mankind. This is not the work of, of humanity. This is the work and the stamp of God. And he's bringing about through the obedience of his own son, through the power of his spirit, the full triune God involved in his salvation work in our real world, in our real lives. And so just as Jesus began his mission to save us with baptism, we mark out the beginning of our relationship with him through the symbol of baptism also. Baptism is our public declaration that we're all in for the one who went all in for us. And so we made it clear to these baptismal candidates that it's, baptism is not how we're saved. Right? The moment that any of us believe, sincerely believe that Jesus has died for us to forgive our sin, that he has risen from the dead to give us new life, says, that is the point that you're saved. 
The great news is God has already broken in this world. He's already accomplished for us what was necessary for us to come to know him. He says, I'm just asking you to just believe it and receive it. The old is gone. The new has become. Instead of being eternally separated from God, we have his spirit with us and in us forever. And this is the gospel. This is the good news of the coming of Jesus. And I, anybody in here, if you don't know or you want to know more what this means, or maybe some of this is still confusing or fuzzy to you, the other two pastors and I, we're going to be outside. At least a couple of us are going to be outside in that grassy area outside. Come talk to us. We would love to meet you and talk to you more about what this means. But for now, for today, we get to celebrate how God has done just that in the lives of these three by getting baptized today. So... So let me pray, and then, uh, man, we are going to celebrate some baptisms this morning. Father, <laughs> oh, when you could have left us alone, because frankly, we, we, we did not deserve your life, but you took on a death you did not deserve to give us the life that we did not deserve. But God, all we can do is say thank you. All we can do is allow your grace to wash over us again, recognizing that you are enough and that you've already done everything. And we are here to celebrate and rejoice in who you are and what you are doing in the lives of Jackie, Haley, and Jamal. Thank you for their lives. Thank you that we get to celebrate what you are doing in them. And God, I pray that... <laughs> That, that you will take whatever you've done within them today and continue to multiply it. We'd see just the power of your spirit working in and through them. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said.